The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory, Glory to, to you, o Lord. Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Isn't it ironic that on January 6th, the day the Church celebrates Epiphany, the manifestation to the world of the birth of Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, that a pro-Trump mob stormed the United States Capitol for the first time in over 200 years, resulting in the deaths of five people? Isn't it ironic that while an armed and mostly maskless mob spilled blood, 130,000 hospitalized Americans fought for their lives against COVID-19? Granted, these are dark ironies, but they are ironies nonetheless. The word of God was rare in those days. Our reading from 1 Samuel begins, Sometimes it feels as if the word of God is rare these days as well. Sometimes it feels like the lamp of God has gone out entirely, as also mentioned in our reading from Samuel, what with much turmoil and a raging pandemic. Images from January 6th still haunt our minds as we brace for another week of potential violence as the presidential inauguration approaches. As I watched the events on January 6th unfold on television, an image kept coming to my mind. That of an angry Jesus storming the temple, overturning tables, driving people out and causing chaos. This story is so important that it is included in all four Gospels. In fact, in John's version, Jesus even storms the temple armed with a whip of cords. As we saw the now famous pose of Josh Hawley's fist pump while chaos unfolds in and around the Capitol, I tried to look at the situation <clears throat> from a different perspective, and I thought, isn't this what we're supposed to do? Isn't this what I myself have preached? 
raise the defiant fist, speak truth to power, dismantle structures, overturn the status quo? How is the events at the Capitol on January 6th any different than what Jesus did in the temple that day? Many in the evangelical right would say there is no difference, hence the signs and chants that day that Jesus is my savior, but Trump is my president. We may be inclined to think that the church needn't involve itself with the events of January 6th. However, the church is already involved. When people hear and see such chants and signs on TV, the inclination is to assume that this represents all of Christianity. So let's think about this. We call what Jesus did the cleansing of the temple. We call January 6th an insurrection. So what's the difference? It all depends on the voices you listen to. In our first reading, Samuel heard God but thought it was Eli. What voices could Samuel have listened to in his lifetime? Samuel could have listened to his master Eli's sons who cursed God, causing the house of Eli to be forever punished, which would have resulted in Samuel's downfall. Later on, as a grown prophet and judge, Samuel could have succumbed to the tempting voices suggesting he become the first king of Israel instead of Saul, even though Samuel knew that was not what God intended for him. Later on, while in Bethlehem seeking a king to replace Saul, who by this time had committed suicide, Samuel could have listened to Jesse, who offered all of his grown sons as candidates for kingship, even though God's voice told Samuel to choose the young boy David. Samuel did well in discerning which voice to listen to. In our gospel reading this morning from John, what voices could Philip and Nathaniel have listened to in their lifetimes? They could have listened to their parents' voices, who perhaps begged them to ignore this sketchy Jesus fellow, stay home, and help provide for their families. Or perhaps they had families of their own and could have listened to their wives' voices, imploring them to remain behind and be husbands and fathers. Philip and Nathaniel could have listened to the voices of any number of prophets and healers who wandered the ancient world and could have chosen to follow any of them as disciples. Instead, for whatever reason, even despite Nathaniel's prejudicial misgivings that nothing good can come out of Nazareth, they follow the voice of Jesus. Philip and Nathaniel did well in discerning which voice to listen to. So how do we know which voices to listen to? Who do we listen to when both sides of an argument claim the truth, offer different paths towards justice and peace, and propose contrasting challenges to existing authority? Who to listen to and what is truth? Harkening back to the famous question posed by Pilate himself when finding himself face to face with Jesus prior to his crucifixion. How does our faith inform us and guide us in choosing what voices to listen to? Samuel listened to God's voice. Philip and Nathaniel listened to the voice of Jesus, Son of God. On January 6th, the angry mobs in D.C. listened to the voices of Trump and Giuliani. For the past four years, 
Our country has been subjected to the voice of ambition, self-promotion, and narcissism, a voice that has called for the largest number of civilian federal death penalties since 1896, when 16 occurred under President Grover Cleveland, in addition to 13 federal death penalties enacted since 2016, the last one being early yesterday morning. Iran sacked EPA, stripped of ma major regulations regarding water and land and air. 360 miles of wall between the U.S. and Mexican border with a price tag of $11 billion and rising, which comes out to $20 million a mile, paid for by taxpayers like you and me, many of whom never wanted it in the first place. The separation of over 5,400 children from their parents at that same border, hundreds of whom are still waiting for reunification. Name-calling of epic proportions, a voice that has insulted women, minorities, nations, scientists, athletes, religions, disabled people, and children, even going so far as to tell climate activist Greta Thunberg to work on her anger management, and that she is in fact a very happy young girl with a bright and wonderful future after her speech to the UN in which she said world leaders such as he have stolen her dreams and her childhood with their empty words. This voice has sp spoken all of this and much more into our national reality these past four years, resulting in a resurgence of civil religion as displayed on January 6th. Flags w waving, adorned with crosses attached to them, and signs held high that read, Jesus saves, right alongside signs saying six million deaths in the Holocaust weren't enough and signs painted with nooses, calling to mind images of other lynch mobs in American history who harmed and killed in the name of God-appointed supremacy. Thankfully, after Wednesday, we need no longer heed this voice that incites violence and feeds on mayhem. So the Christian church, again, finds itself smack dab in the middle of current events, whether we like it or not, which calls us back to the original question, which voices do we listen to? And finally, what is the difference between the angry mob storming the Capitol and an angry Jesus storming the temple? The difference is huge. Jesus overturns systems in the name of love, in the name of kingdom inclusion, not exclusion, and certainly not in the name of racial supremacy, oppression, and hatred. Jesus does not incite violence or stir people to insurrection, even though many people begged him to, especially the political faction called the Zealots, to which some of his very own disciples belonged. Even when Simon Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant in the Garden of Gethsemane the night of Jesus' betrayal, all in an effort to stop the betrayal and spare Jesus' life, Jesus says no to it all. And when the disciples beg Jesus to let them retaliate their twitchy hands on their own swords, Jesus says, no more of this, and touches the man's ear and heals it. These days, it's so hard to know 
which voices to listen to, especially when Christians on either side of this outgoing presidency and recent events both claim to be listening to the voice of God. This calls to mind Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address in 1865, delivered to a divided country in the final days of the Civil War, in which he says, both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God. That was our divided country then, some listening to the voices of Lincoln and Grant, and others listening to the voices of Jefferson Davis and Lee, and this is our divided country now, these 156 later, years later on January 6th, when the Confederate flag flies in an American office of government for the first time in history, flanked by Christian crosses and the name of Jesus. These days, Christianity is under much scrutiny, as is the Constitution, although for different reasons. So difficult questions must be asked and difficult truths must be named. There is no joy in naming these difficult truths and asking these difficult, difficult questions, but there is Christian obligation. So what then finally does the Christian do when the cross is brandished about, affixed to flags, and the name and words of Jesus are invoked by those perpetuating violence and calling for bloodshed? The Christian listens to the voice of Jesus and the words that he says. Words like supremacy, dominion, and authority belong to God, not to a race or a creed, or a gender, or a country. In many places around the world, our country is synonymous with words like racist, intolerant, unequal. These are not Christian words. They just aren't. In the face of what has been and whatever is yet to come, the voice of Jesus calls out with words of love and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus dies for a world that hates him and rejects him, while at the same time forgiving the very soldiers who are executing him. Instead of calling for an eye for an eye, Jesus forgives the condemned criminals dying on either side of him and welcomes them into his kingdom. Instead of crushing the meek and the poor and the voiceless and the marginalized, Jesus blesses them and goes to their houses to eat with them. Instead of tearing children from their parents and sending them away to live in cages, Jesus says, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Jesus would say all things are lawful but not beneficial, and sometimes it's okay to yield a right for the sake of the neighbor. Instead of capital punishment, Jesus tells the one without sin to cast the first stone and lifts the adulterous woman from the dust and tells her to sin no more. Instead of building walls, Jesus crushes them every single time. So then, we see that Jesus rains down grace upon grace on all heads. People of every political party, of every faith, of every skin color, race, gender, sexual orientation, people on both sides of any wall. God's grace clearly extends to those who cry for war, as well as those who call for peace, but the voice of Jesus calls us to love. And that is the voice to listen to. 
It is his final commandment before he dies to love one another as he has loved us, which is without limit and without condition. When Christian was about four months old, <clears throat> I took him outside on a crisp October day and laid him on a blanket in the grass. His eyes blinked in the sunshine as he stared at the brightly colored leaves in the trees towering above. A bird landed nearby, catching and keeping all of his attention. Laying next to him, I spoke his name over and over, but he did not turn his head towards me. He was so distracted by this bird, even though I was speaking his name directly into his ear, I did not love him less for not hearing my voice. In fact, I loved him more as my mother's heart realized that as he grew, many things other than myself in his life would capture his attention. And so these days between school and a girlfriend and music and running, when this baby who is now 16 looks at me and listens to me, I feel unsurpassed joy and honor that this child I birthed would listen to my voice. May we not be so distracted in the coming days and weeks that we fail to hear the voice of God. Speaking the names of every single child God has ever created and has ever known, even when we were being secretly and intricately knit together in our mother's wombs and in the depths of the earth. The word of the Lord might seem rare these days. Visions may not be widespread. But the lamp of God has not gone out yet. There is faith, however small. There is hope, however flickering. And there is love, however trembling. And the greatest of these is love.